Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk. I'm MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. Welcome. The speaker series happens once a month. This will be part of our weekly Zoom meeting that happens every Friday night. If you would like to be a part of that meeting, you have to be female. And send us an email at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. If you would like to tell your story, please reach out to SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. We want to have more stories out there in order to help other women. And here's our next speaker. Thanks for listening. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. Hey, everybody. My name's Elizabeth. I'm a sex and love addict in recovery. Really glad you guys are here. I have to tell you right now that we have set a record for the number of attendees in our meeting. We're at 48. And the most that we've had before is 39. So this one's a big pull. I met Olivia a couple of months ago um, when another we had another person in here tell us her story. And when I heard her share, I was like, oh, I can't, I got to reach out to her. And I'd been Sam's a sponsor for quite a while. And um, she agreed right away to start working with me. And we've been working together. Um, the things that I love about Olivia is she has a really calm voice. She laughs and has a great sense of humor. She doesn't take herself or me too seriously. And um, she's just really wise and has a lot to uh, to offer the program and me in particular, which is really what I care about. <laughs> so I'm excited to be here and to sit back, relax, and listen to Olivia. Thanks. Um, I'm Olivia, and I'm a sex and love addict. <clears throat> It's so exciting. I'm so glad you hit your number, uh, high number. I see a lot of people here who I invited and a lot of people from out of town that I know are invited by other people in my um, my circle. So it's exciting to see people and see my peeps and see new peeps. Uh, I came into SLA in um, 1985 and I came in because my ass was on fire and I was miserable and I just didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I was in so much pain. I was so addicted to the person I was living with. Um, and that was just the most recent problems. Before that, I would have multiple monogamous relationships at the same time and not wonder what, and wonder why it wasn't working out. So it was either multiple people or one person and, um, and I like to call it, I'm a human barnacle in that case. And so for my recovery, um, I came in here desperate and ready. I was ready. I immediately, the person who got me to the meeting, um, I asked her, what do I do? What do I do? And she said, okay, you're going to set a bottom line. And we picked the most obvious thing that, <laughs> that was causing me the most pain in that moment. And that was... Um, that I couldn't stop calling the person that I lived with. And back in 1985, nobody had ever heard of a cell phone. So um, I had to stay near my phone and dial it many, many times um, throughout the day to tell somebody, you know, to say, how are you? What are you doing? What are you having for lunch? What are you going to have for 
dinner? Do you love me? Do you still love me? And that was just the first phone call. And then the second phone call and the third phone call, and it would basically be all day would be this need to have this connection to, to him because I just um, couldn't stand to be alone in myself. And, um, uh, you know, I, 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 got, I asked that person to be my sponsor and she was my sponsor. We set the bottom line. Um, we started, um, you know, we started working on, um, you know, getting to know each other. I just wanted, I just wanted to be fixed. I just wanted to be better. I just wanted to not feel the pain anymore. I wanted it to be quick, right? So give me the, the give me the bullet points. I'll go through the bullet points, and I should be done and ready, you know, to be in a new healthy relationship in about five days, right? Um, obviously, that was not the case, and I learned pretty quickly how truly addicted I. Uh, I was and how I really had trouble um, trusting, trusting others, trusting myself, trusting a higher power, um, believing that I was that I was going to be okay no matter what. And so, um, so uh, I I can't just to back up a little bit. I I didn't all of a sudden become a sex love addict. I was born into being a sex love addict. I for me I feel like it's my, in my genes, my mother, um, I was the product of an affair my mother had. Um, my mother uh, married um, a man uh, after that marriage um, because she had gotten pregnant with another kid and didn't want to tell people she was pregnant out of wedlock. And, um, and that person adopted me, and then they had another kid, and then within five years of that, they were divorced. So, um, you know, I, I had... Um, my mother was definitely a love addict um, and in, in, in pain um, and constantly looking for um, love in all the wrong places. And my father, uh, who I call my father, my adoptive father, um, who was the only father I knew for quite a, quite a, quite a many years, uh, he adopted me when I was five. Um, you know, he was a womanizer and he, you know, and he hated women. And, um, and so I had, I had two extremes in my life and that's what I learned. I learned, I learned about sex and love addict addiction from the best. I'm going to say they were the best. If there was a contest, they would all get like medals. They were really good at it. And so i got really good at it too. Um, so, uh, so I came from that. Um, I, uh, was, uh, dating when I came in a program, I was dating somebody who was in recovery somebody who was an AA, a recovering alcoholic, and um, he happened to be in some other 12-step programs. And, um, and so I was quite familiar with 12-step programs, but it, I had no clue that it was really, that it, it was coming from inside of me. You know, I just thought if I got the right one or the right person, or if I did the right thing, or if I manipulated the situation in just the right way, everything would be just fine. If everybody just stopped moving and we all stood still, we, we could make this work. And that wasn't really accurate at all, um, especially because I was under the illusion I had control over everything around me, and I did I barely had control over myself, never mind anybody else. So, um, so I, I, you know, I, I immediately immersed myself into program. Uh, I came into SLAA when it was the founding members of SLAA. 
We're talking the core members of our program, the people who started it, you know, Rich, all of those people from the basic techs were sitting in my meeting, and they were hardcore AAers. It was sit down, shut up, do service. That was that was what I got, and that's what I I did. Um, you know, I anytime my sponsor would ask me questions and I thought I knew what I was doing or saying, I would find out really quickly that I really didn't know very much at all. And um, and it was really helpful for me to have you know to have. I had a sponsor who laughed at me and with me and near me and around me constantly. So I would say things and she would just break out laughing. And I'd be like, how could you laugh at that? That's so, you know, the drama all attached to it. And she'd just say, because it's really funny. <laughs> what you're describing to me is really funny. Um, I would say things to her like, um, I, I need to know the answer to X, Y, and Z. And she'd say, well, I don't know the answer to that. And I'd be like, how do you not know the answer? You're my sponsor. You're supposed to know everything, she would say. Well, actually, my sponsor has me saying I don't know on a regular basis because I thought I knew everything, and I've been saying I know everything, so now I'm just saying I don't know. And I was like, well, that's just not acceptable. And She actually got me a little placard that said I don't know, and I kept it on my desk. And when any time anybody called me and I felt like I needed to say, oh, the answer, I would look at that and I'd say, do I really know? No, I don't. I'd say I don't know. But what I, but what I learned from her was you could say I don't know and then say – but look at all these other people we can ask. Oh, and I know somebody else who might know the answer. Or how can we look this up? This was before Google. So you actually had to talk to people and read it in a book. So that was fun. Um, I, you know, I, I was in that relationship. Um, and I learned how, I learned a lot about the fact that I was very dependent on, uh, on other people to feel good about myself. And I talk about this for people who have heard me before. You've heard the can't open a story. I basically would call my my boyfriend because everything was an emergency. Everything, I, and I couldn't tell the difference between what an emergency was and what an, and what what it wasn't. And so, you know, I I I would call you know all the time for anything. If you know, if I couldn't find the can opener. I would call him and my sponsor said from now on your bottom line is going to be adding if you think if you need to call that person and um, you um, you have to talk to two other people in the program and confirm with them that it's a good idea to be making the phone call and I thought oh that should be easy well okay that was before texting that was before cell phones that was before you know when you went to a pay phone and you kept throwing money into that when you were desperate um uh, and uh she said you're going to go to meetings and you're going to get as many phone numbers as possible and after six months i had 200 phone numbers in my book and when my ass was on fire i would just make a phone call and make a phone call and make a phone call i also want to remind you no answering machines back then maybe a handful of people had answering machines so then you just got ringing 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 and now now I'm like, and now I'm determined. I'm gonna try to get somebody on this phone if it kills me. You know, I'm gonna keep calling. I'm gonna keep calling. Um, sometimes I was so exhausted after about 20 calls and not getting anybody, I was just exhausted to even act out. Like I'd be like, screw it, I'm just gonna go take a nap. Um, and you know, I would, you know, if I did get a hold of somebody, I'd say, oh hey, um, I think I need to call. And they'd say, well, what's the reason? I'd say, well, I can't find the can opener. And say, 
that's an emergency? It's like, well, absolutely, because I'm trying to cook food. And they'd say, so did you look in your roommate's room to see if the cannibal was there? How about the drawer? Did you look in a drawer? Um, did you borrow one from the neighbor? Did you go to the corner store and buy a new one? Did, how about a box? Do you want to open up a box? How about if you order takeout? Like, you know, and I was just like bewildered by these choices because I'd be like, so what you're saying is I can't call and find out if he knows where the can opener is? And she'd say, absolutely. That's, that's not an emergency. And I quickly became aware at that there were so many resources out there to me that I just ignored them and, and, and couldn't even absorb that I had a lot of power and choices in my life because I had always just picked up the phone and just called somebody else to fix it. Um, so, so that was an interesting um, beginning to me really understanding who I am and the choices that I have and that things became, I actually received more power from that, being able to say, I don't know, or say, I'm going to ask other people for me to give me information. It made me feel stronger and safer. I, um, I did end up, ended up getting out of that relationship, and, um, and I was so happy for the first time in my life being alone. I was so happy. I went to my sponsor. I woke up one morning, and I was just, like, so happy, like, not crying, not in withdrawal, not anything. And I said, oh, I'm so happy. I'm going to just stay single for the rest of my life. And she said, um, uh, it sounds like you're moving into anorexia. We're going to start dating. I'm like, what? I just finally got comfortable not having a relationship in my life. Just know you need to learn how to live in the world with other people and how to have a relationship with both men and women. I was like, oh, I hate her so much. Why does she keep doing these things to me? Um, and back in the day, we didn't have the internet, so um, we had some crazy theory that if you put an ad in a look, in the, it was a local magazine, Boston Magazine, and uh, we had some kind of crazy theory that people paid to put an ad into that magazine, so that meant that they were probably quality people. So we would write these letters to these people, and you know, hopefully they would respond. And if they responded, then you know. I have to figure out, can I go on a date with them? Can I not go on a date with them? And that meant I had to create a dating plan. Um, things like, for me, on my dating plan, it has to do with my acting out. It's not going to bed with the person the first time you see them, hoping that that will work and they'll stay forever and ever. Um, it's also, I had to wear underwear on my dates. Um, I know that sounds crazy, but I thought they were in the way. Well, you know, why, why bother? Um, and so... Um, you know, I'd call her up on before I go on the date. I say, "All right, I'm wearing underwear. I'm wearing clothing that's covering my breasts. I am going to meet in a public location. I am going to be there for one hour. I have a quarter in my pocket to call you if I freak out or have a feeling or don't know what to do. Um, I uh, will bookend it. I'm calling now. I'm call afterwards. I will check in 24 hours later to see how I'm feeling and what's happening. And 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 I just thought, oh, God, we do this all the time. But you know what? Nobody ever taught me how to date. Nobody ever said this. This this is how dating works. I had I had uh, my dad's porn magazines. I had um, books that you know were you know soft softcore porn. I had movies. I had my relationships with my parents, watching how they function in the world so I don't know I didn't know how to date so this was a whole new exciting thing for me um, and I had some fun 
you know, I had crazy things happen to me. I was on a date, um, did everything right, wore my underwear, whatever, and my dress had buttons in the front of it, and in the middle of the date, the dress unbuttoned itself, like, like down to my belly button. And I looked down, and my dress was completely open, and I was, like, freaked out, and I saw, I was like, oh, my God, I'm trying to do it nonchalantly, and the guy stood up in the middle of the date, and he was like, okay, I got to go now. And I and I'm sure it was because he was like, "What the hell is with this woman in her dress?" And what I'm we're sitting, you know, public. <laughs> I ran to the phone and called my sponsor, and I was like, "I can't believe this happened to me. I was so good. I did everything I was supposed to." And she's laughing. I said, "What is so funny about this?" She said, "Oh, it's God. Just God is funny. God does stuff like that." I'm like, "Well, that doesn't seem right to me. I worked really hard, you know, and I got it. I got it that this is funny." This is a funny experience that I have to take, not take myself so seriously. I have to remember, you know, I don't know what the plans are, but if I have the right motives and I take care of myself and I show up for life, then I'm going to get these rewards that I don't know about. Um, I, I, I ended up meeting somebody and marrying him. Um, he was also in recovery when I met him. And uh, he struggled with his sobriety and his recovery. He, he was in multiple programs. And by the time, uh, after 22 years of being together, I um, had to leave the relationship um, for good because I couldn't, I was working my program, but I was, didn't like who I was becoming being around addicts, you know? So I would go to, I would go to co-SLA meetings. I would go to Al-Anon. I would go to anything to help me. I was good, you know, with my sobriety. I knew what to do and I knew how to do it. But if, if other people around me couldn't stay sober, like my mother or my father or whatever, or even people in meetings, and I just want to go over and do shaken baby syndrome on them, say, what is wrong with you? And my sponsor would say, you know, you need to go to an Allen meeting. <laughs> you need to detach with love. You need to learn how to take care of yourself and um, and how to let go. You know, hate the disease, not the person, and do what's right for you to stay sane and sober. Um, I left that relationship. I had to relearn how to date in a whole new era of uh, video and uh, internet and classes. I. Yes, I took classes on how to date, how to do an internet profile. I, um, I, did, I, I, I took the opportunity, and there were people on this call who were with me. Like, I, you know, we had conversations about, I was like, well, I'm just going to be who I am, and if they don't like me, and people were like, well, don't you want to put your first, you know, best step forward and kind of look okay? You know, <laughs> you know, my hair all over the place. Oh, how about if you just, you know, brush your hair? That would be, <laughs> well, if they don't like me for me, it's like, well, you, know, you have to let them, they have to get close enough for them to figure out if they like you. So, you know, you got to do some things to let people in. Um, and I did that. And I had a lot of fun. I looked at the dating as being curious and just having a good time rather than I'm going to find the perfect person and the person who's going to be with me for the rest of my life and then I'll, I'll live forever um, in, in bliss. I uh, decided that that was what I was going to do. And I called my sponsor when I was going on dates, I would check in. Um, I, I knew that for me, it was crucial that I keep telling on myself 
I have to tell people what I'm doing. If I don't do that, then it becomes like a little bit more of a secret, a little bit more of a secret, a little bit more of a secret till it's in the shadows. And now it's like niggling and I'm doing stuff and I'm thinking nobody can see it. And I'm having a personality change and downward spiral back into addiction. So, um, so I had to learn how to do that. I still wore underwear on my dates. I still went into public, you know, you know, places on my first date. I would have a limited amount of time. I would only talk to the person a couple of times a week, um, maybe a couple of dates. I dated multiple people rather than just one person, which my addiction is glom on. So I try to date multiple people, and um, and I had fun. I mean, I think that that was the piece. Like dating was always freaking horrible because I was like. Stay with me, be with me, love me, love me, be with me, be the one, be the, be there, be there, and holding on so tight. And this time around, after all these years of being in recovery, I had learned not to take myself so seriously, to try to look at the world as um, interesting and, and be curious and just have fun. And I didn't have to go back to old behavior to make myself happy. Um, I've been in a relationship with... Um, with somebody for the past uh, eight years and we bought a house together and um, we laugh, we travel together, we really enjoy each other's company. Um, I feel so lucky to have been on this road to get to this place where I am no longer looking for, you know, a set of things to check off from the other person. Well, they met that, they met that, but they met when I came in the program, my sponsor said, okay, write 10 things that you have to have in a relationship and 10 things you don't want in a relationship. And a lot of the stuff that I wrote actually was about a person rather than relationship, you know, blue eyes, funny, has a job, just like, okay. Um, and, but then it developed into, I wanted somebody who was secure, who um, was, you know, had their own uh, community um, of support, somebody who was spiritual somebody you know somebody who could share their spirituality with me and we could you know be um be independent and yet be a couple and when we were a couple we weren't enmeshed and we were separate we weren't dying or shunning the other person it had to be some kind of um uh complement to each other I, you know, I, I think I got used to saying I want relationships that en enhance my life rather than be my life. Um, and so I, I feel really fortunate. This person actually, he, all of that list that I was making when I was married, the list that I was making when I first came to the program, he has a lot of the qualities that I was looking for. Um, and so I feel really fortunate that I found somebody who, who um, I feel comfortable with and I feel happy and I have a lot of, a lot of joy most days. Um, he's, you know, quite familiar with my recovery. He knows I'm on meetings. He knows I have sponsees. Um, I also have spent a great deal of my life integrating my recovery into my everyday life. I don't have recovery over here and then work and family over there. I have holiday parties and my recovery friends come, my family comes, my non-program friends come. Sometimes it's the only time that they see each other once a year and they know each other and, you know, non-program people will say, hey, how do you know, Olivia? And they'll say, oh, we have mutual friends. 
you know, and vice versa, but they become friends on their own. And it's just, I just feel like I'm a whole person now that I don't have to think of myself in pieces. I don't have to think of myself as, you know, I was really good at compartmentalizing my life. I'm going to do this over here and I'm going to do that over there. And, you know, I I was really good at, you know, having multiple dates on the same day and, and, you know, scheduling them perfectly so that I would have a breakfast, lunch, and dinner date. And then if dinner worked out and I liked them enough, I'd spend the night and I'd get to start over. I, I don't, I didn't have to do that anymore. I feel like I, ha- I, I remember people's names now. I used to call people honey, baby, sweetie, because I didn't remember names because they were so, I was so caught up in my own stuff. Um, that isn't happening to me anymore. Now I don't remember any people's names because um, postmenopausal, which I think is a completely different discussion. Um, but I feel full, I feel whole, I feel joy. I feel grateful. Uh, I feel, um, oh, I have feelings. I think I should just stop there. I feel this is really also another big thing. And I spent a great deal of my life running from feelings. Feelings were scary. My house, if, um, if I expressed any feelings in front of my dad, he would say, well, you're crying to get attention. Um, or, and, or he would get mad and then, you know, not talk, you know, he would just stop talking. Sometimes when I got older, he would stock the fridge with food and leave for three or four days. Um, you know, my mother would also withdraw and, um, and withhold and, and be silent treatment. And that, all of that is really painful, 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 painful. And, uh, I now, I now know that a lot of my acting out had to do with the fact that I was trying to hide from those feelings. I felt alone, I felt abandoned, I felt neglected, and I had no way to ask for what I wanted um, from the people who were supposed to be giving it to me. Um, so, so now I can say, I have feelings. You know, I, try to, I try to talk to my sponsees when we're going through the, you know, step stuff or talking about hard stuff, I try to say, well, how do you, you know, how do you feel? How is this making you feel? Because I, that's what my sponsor did for me. My sponsor would say to me regularly, so how do you feel? And I was like, I feel okay. And she said, well, okay is not a feeling. And then she'd list out these feelings. Are you angry? Are you sad? Are you happy? Are you mad? Are you annoyed? What is happening? Um, and, and I would have to really dig deep breathe, think and feel what was happening inside of me. And it was such a relief to be able to finally start identifying it. It was so amazing that I could say, well, I'm mad, you know, and what exactly am I mad at? Um, and, and where is that coming from? And how do I manage that? Like, it's okay to be, if I'm, if I'm angry, that's a normal feeling. It's okay. It's not okay for me to lash out and make everybody else miserable with me, but it's okay to have the feeling and learning how to manage those feelings. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel happy. Um, I think I have a lot of survivor's guilt. You know, my ex-husband is, um, is in a really horrible place and I'm in a really good place and I feel, I feel bad for him. I, I can't fix him. I can't, I'm not going back. I don't, I don't want to fix him, but I feel sad for him. Um, and, and I have to, 
I have to um, honor that feeling. Uh, I, I feel feelings. And we were talking before this meeting started about hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and sick. You know, I, I live with, you know, that's my motto. Am I hungry? Am I angry or anxious? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Um, stop and take care of those things first. Nine times out of ten, if I'm tired and I take a nap, I feel a million times better afterwards. Nine times out of ten, if I'm hungry and I eat something, my, you know, I calm down. My blood sugar isn't making me go, you know, fight or flight. I, I find that I've learned about my own body and my own mind and uh, and staying honest about where I am has made a huge difference in my ability to be able to relate to the world. I'm not sexualizing everybody. I'm not sexualizing myself. I'm not um, using people or feeling like who's going to take care of me. Um, I can't, I can say that, you know, the stuff is pretty embedded in me. You know, my, my immediate reaction when I, when I, when I feel um, scared is uh, to hide or um, or to it leads to oh my god everybody hates me I'm gonna be alone I'm gonna die alone they're gonna find me dead several weeks later and um, and it, it's the worst like I, I'm like I'm the worst and I'm never gonna be okay that used to be with me 24/7 when I came into recovery I now can say that that happens to me I get triggered with that. I, I trace it. I realize, okay, what's the, what are the truths? What's happening? What am I feeling? It's okay. I'm feeling a little scared. What, what's really, what is really happening? Should I be afraid? Is somebody holding a gun to my head? Should that seems to be a legitimate thing to be afraid of? But the fact that somebody canceled plans is that a legitimate thing to to be afraid of? You know, they just canceled plans. They didn't say I hate you and I'm leaving you for the rest of your life. They just said, I can't meet you. I mean, I have to really look at those things inside, what is happening inside of me, and then focus on the facts, breathe, and bring myself back into the moment. So, I don't know. I'm in my 36th year in SLAA recovery. I am truly grateful, and I feel, you know, I'm... And on the 22nd of April, I will have 19 years of sobriety. Um, I had 16 years of sobriety and had a slip. So I will tell you, you know, it's easy to think that you're okay and then all of a sudden not be okay. And so for me, my recovery is about doing this every day. As soon as I had stopped going to meetings, stopped making my phone calls, stopped, you know, talking to God, I had a slip. After 16 years of sobriety, it was devastating to me. And I have to say, it was really hard for everybody around me. My husband had only known me as a sober person. My friends in the program spent an enormous amount of time telling me, oh, that doesn't sound like a slip. Like People had an invested interest in me not having had a slip. And, and I think we all got to a place where we're like, no, no, I had a slip. And help me get back because I was so scared I couldn't get back. And now, you know, April 22nd, a day at a time, I will have another 19 years of sobriety. And um, I'm not going to take that for granted ever again. 
I can't. Uh, it's too easy. It's too easy to listen to, you know, my addict on the shoulder. Um, I I like to balance it with all of you guys on the other shoulder like, giving me information and support and telling me I'm okay um, and that I can get through this. So um, I think that... Um, I think that I'm almost to my time. Um, I don't really have a lot more to say other than if you're new, keep coming. This is going to be some of the most painful, difficult, yucky things that we experience. It's just horrible. It's horrible. But I will say, I have so many friends in my life from this program. I have so many people that I just are my in my touchstone. I have so many stories and gifts and love and it's just, it's so different. I'm, I feel like I'm a different human being because of, of what I got from um, everybody in these rooms. And, um, and it, it's going to be crappy for a little while, but hang in there because we'll get you through it. That's it. Thanks. That's it for this month's speaker meeting. Stay tuned to Sober Sisters Talk for next month's speaker. Thank you.